Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, your host, and the clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. For today's episode, we welcome Charanjit Singh from our product management team at Mayo Clinic Laboratories for a test-specific podcast. Thanks for the introduction, Dr. Pritt. Today, I'm excited to have an honor to have Dr. Ann Thiebel that will be discussing our autoimmune liver disease panel, ALDG2. Before we get started today, Dr. Thiebel, could you please provide us a little bit about you and your background? Sure. And thank you for the invitation to discuss the autoimmune liver disease panel too with me. My name is Ann Thiebel, and I'm a senior associate consultant and co-director of the Antibody Immunology Laboratory in Mayo Clinic. I also hold a professorship in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology in Mayo Clinic. And prior to joining Mayo Clinic in 2021, I was the medical director of the Autoimmune Immunology Laboratory at ARUP Laboratories and professor of pathology at the University of Utah, all in Salt Lake City. Of interest, I'm a board-certified medical laboratory immunologist and currently serve as the vice president of the Association of Medical Laboratory Immunologists, generally referred to as AMLI. And I also serve as the AMLI liaison to the College of American Pathologists, the Diagnostic Immunology and Flow Cytometry Committee. I also belong to a number of national and international organizations with interest in clinical and diagnostic immunology with special interest in autoimmune disease diagnostics, including test harmonization and standardizations of these assays. Thank you again for your background, uh, Dr. Thiebel. So our first question I have is, can you please give a brief overview of this assay? Thank you, JL. Autoimmune hepatitis, primary biliary cholangitis, and primary sclerosing cholangitis are the classic autoimmune liver diseases that have been well described. The autoimmune liver disease panel two consists of three main tests intended to aid in the diagnosis of autoimmune hepatitis, primary biliary cholangitis, and their overlap. With this panel, anti-mitochondrial antibodies are detected and quantified using an enzyme immunoassay while the smooth muscle antibody and antinuclear antibodies are performed by indirect immunofluorescent assay with mouse, stomach, and kidney for the smooth muscle antibody and the HEP2 substrate for the antinuclear antibodies. In the context of autoimmune hepatitis, the presence of smooth muscle antibodies and antinuclear antibodies are of diagnostic significance, while positivity of AMA is highly suggestive of primary biliary cholangitis. Anti-mitochondrial antibodies can be measured using analyte-specific enzyme immunoassay or the identification of AMA cytoplasmic pattern using the HEP2 substrate by IFA. In addition, certain autoantibodies associated with specific nuclear HEP2 patterns have been reported in a subset of patients with primary biliary cholangitis who are seronegative for anti-mitochondrial antibodies or may be positive for mitochondrial antibodies, but have uncertain clinical or phenotypic attributes. The HEP2 IFA nuclear patterns associated with primary biliary cholangitis are the multiple nuclear dots and the punctate nuclear envelope. In PBC or primary biliary cholangitis, the multiple 
nuclear dot is associated with the anti-SP100 antibody, while the punctate nuclear envelope correlates to the presence of anti-GP2 antibody. Thank you, Dr. Chibo, for going over the assay. A very helpful information. And just for our listeners, a brief general overview of it, just so that I'm keeping track of it. So basically, our ALDG2 autoimmune panel helps with the evaluation of patients with suspected autoimmune liver disease, specifically autoimmune hepatitis or primary biliary cholangitis. It also helps with the evaluation of patients with liver disease of unknown etiology. Which patients should have this testing and when should it be performed, Dr. Thibault? I think that the use of the autoimmune liver disease panel is appropriate in the differential evaluation of all patients with suspicion or at risk of autoimmune liver diseases or those with liver disease of unknown etiology. It should ideally be requested following observation of abnormal liver enzymes and or polyclonal increases in the serum IgG or IgM levels, as well as the elimination of common causes of liver diseases such as metabolic, genetic, viral, drug, or alcohol-induced hepatitis. The onset of autoimmune hepatitis may be insidious with non-specific symptoms such as fatigue, jaundice, nausea, abdominal pain, and muscle weakness at presentation. But the clinical spectrum is wide and may be ranging from asymptomatic at presentation to an acute severe onset. Like autoimmune hepatitis, patients with primary biliary cholangitis present with fatigue and abdominal pain, which are nonspecific but may also demonstrate chronic itching and sicker symptoms or evidence of cholestatic liver disease or jaundice without evidence of other causes. In general, autoimmune liver diseases can be categorized based on varying clinical, laboratory, histological, and radiological features. In the absence of defined etiological factors, it is recognized that disease spectrum is broad and disease boundaries may sometimes be blurred with overlapping features that may be present at the time of diagnosis or may present later in the course of disease. For example, primary biliary cholangitis and autoimmune hepatitis can be distinguished by clinical, biochemical, immunological, and histopathological features, as well as treatment response. But for a minority of patients who have features of more than one condition, either at the time of first presentation or over their disease course, the diagnostic process and treatment plan can be challenging. Therefore, this panel may be clinically relevant following deviation from the normally expected features in an already diagnosed patient with a specific autoimmune liver disease. Thank you, Dr. Thibault. So our, our next question is uh, for our listeners. This new test has just been updated from our old test. Could you please go into detail um, the positive changes that we made in this test? In the absence of defined autoantibodies in type 1 autoimmune hepatitis, the use of mouse, stomach, and kidney, as well as head to substrate, compared to described analyte-specific immunoassays for the evaluation of autoimmune hepatitis, offers a rational and comprehensive approach for a disease that affects both adults and children. Testing for smooth muscle antibodies and ANA 
using substrates other than that which I have described or non-AIFA methods of diverse antigenic formulations have varying outcomes in patients with autoimmune hepatitis. The autoantigens targeted by smooth muscle antibodies in patients with autoimmune hepatitis include filamentous actin, vermetin, and desmin. Of these autoantibody targets, anti-F-actin IgG ELISA is one of the best described and available for disease evaluation here in Mayo Clinic laboratories. Given that there are other antigenic targets associated with positivity for smooth muscle antibodies, the agreement between results for smooth muscle antibody and F-actin antibody is not absolute. Testing for F-actin IgG antibody may be useful when smooth muscle antibody by IFA is negative or of low antibody titers, such as titers below 1 to 180. If ANA and smooth muscle antibodies are undetected, additional testing for perinuclear neutrophil cytoplasmic antibodies, or P-ANCA, and soluble liver antigen antibodies may be of diagnostic significance in adults. For the evaluation of autoimmune hepatitis type 2, which begins in childhood and adolescence, testing for liver kidney microsomal type 1, anti-liver kidney microsomal type 3, and soluble liver antigen and all anti-liver cytosol type 1 antibodies are of diagnostic relevance. With respect to primary biliary cholangitis, the combination of PMA by enzyme immunoassay and the HEP2 substrate by IFA is optimal as a first-line comprehensive panel for disease evaluation. The inclusion of HEP2 substrate by IFA in this panel provides a simple but personalized approach for confirming the presence of AMA cytoplasmic staining if positive by EIA, with the possibility of identifying patients who may be AMA negative but positive for nuclear antibodies. In PBC patients, the nuclear pattern is associated with anti-GP2 antibody, while the multiple nuclear dot is specific for anti-SP100. However, the expression of the multiple nuclear dot and the nuclear envelope pattern may not be easily identified in the presence of other antibodies. Thus, Testing for these antibodies may be indicated in patients who are AMA positive by EIA, as well as patients at risk for PBC or primary biliary cholangitis who are AMA negative. In addition to providing additional support for primary biliary cholangitis in AMA positive and AMA negative patients, the use of HEP2 substrate offers the possibility to identify patients at risk for primary biliary cholangitis who may present with coexisting systemic autoimmune rheumatic diseases such as systemic lupus erythematosus, SLE, systemic sclerosis, and Sjogren's syndrome through additional pattern recognition. The use of solid phase immunoassays for any testing do not provide these additional diagnostic insights. The other thing that we're doing right now, we're trying to validate the GP210 and GP and SP100, and those are going to come. I think we've just signed on the verification summary. Those are going to come subsequently. So far, we learned about Dr. Thiebel, her amazing distinguished background, and then she gave us a brief overview of the assay. Then she 
was able to go on which patients this would be applicable for our, our patient population and when it should be performed. Uh, she just now went over the positive updated that we did for the new test, ALDG2. And lastly, to finish this off, uh, Dr. Thibault, could you please discuss to, with our listeners how the results are used in patient care? That's a very important question you've raised. And the presence of these antibodies alone are not sufficient to make clinical decisions. The results in the panel must always be interpreted in the appropriate clinical context. In synthetic detection of these antibodies in asymptomatic patients or individuals may suggest risk for future disease development, which would require close monitoring for disease onset. In combination with clinical, biochemical, histopathological, and other immunological tests, patients can be stratified using this panel for optimal treatment. Following establishment of a diagnosis of a specific autoimmune liver disease, treatment should be initiated as soon as possible. Autoimmune hepatitis responds favorably to immunosuppressive treatment and the standard regimen includes high initial doses of um, corticosteroids, which are tapered gradually as AZT is introduced. For patients who do not respond to standard treatment, second line drugs should be considered, including mycophenolate mofetil, carcinorin inhibitors, and then mechanistic targets of repromycin inhibitors and biologic agents we should only be administered in specialized hepatology centers. Liver transportation is a life-saving option for those who progress to end-stage liver disease. Although autoimmune hepatitis reoccur, can reoccur or develop de novo after transplantation. In the case of primary biliary cholangitis, usodeoxycholic acid was the only approved therapy which was used widely in patients with this disease. The goal of therapy includes normalization of alkaline phosphatase and total bilirubin to below less than 0.6 times the upper limit of normal. Unfortunately, a subset of patients have an inadequate response to use DCA and remain at risk for developing cirrhosis of its complications and thus they need to be evaluated for second-line therapy. The second-line therapy needs to be added to the UDCA, as UDCA has proven to be effective in prolonging liver transplant-free survival, also in patients without biochemical improvement. And so for these reasons, patients usually will be continued with um, UDCA. The second-line treatments include optocolic acid and desafibrate. And the combination of all three drugs may be used in patients with incomplete response to dual therapy. Thank you so much for all information about the, our new test, ALDG2, Dr. Thibault. It was great talking with you and thank you for your time. Thank you for having me, Jared. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.